and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is a fun guest. It's someone who I've known in my other career with my other company and someone whose uh, relationship we continued professionally when I moved over to EXP. Carlos Matias is the CEO of Phoenix Enterprises and Griff Tech. Carlos, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for so much for having me. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. First of all, I'm looking forward to our tomahawk steak because I know we owe you one with a lot of stuff that we've got going on. <laughs> we'll get there once we sort of can see each other in person again. But uh, I look forward to to that day. Yes, me too. Looking forward. I don't think there's any way to have that kind of tomahawk steak remotely these days. So we have that's wait. true. If we could have figured that one out, that would have yeah. been really good. <laughs> but Carlos, I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, I've, um, I've had this podcast since the beginning of the year and have been incredibly fortunate with having amazing real estate leaders like yourself from around the world. And really from a tech perspective and somebody whose expertise is in that arena is someone who I really haven't had a lot of on the show. So it's exciting to sort of get that point of view from you. But before we jump in, I'd love for you to sort of like share with the listeners how you got started with your career. Sure, of course. Um, I got started, uh, I'm originally from Portugal. I was born there and uh, migrated to Canada in, in, uh, back in the day. And, you know, I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs and I was in the software industry, um, worked in the corporate world for a few years and, uh, realized that it, working for somebody else and uh, working in those kind of environments really wasn't for me. I, I had, you know, much bigger aspirations. So started my own business uh, just as a software business uh, with various projects. But one of the projects I started with very early on was some real estate technology for uh, the European market. And, um, you know, I thought that was an interesting project and continued to build on that along with other projects. But um, in the, actually 99, but during the dot-com dot era, I actually moved to Amsterdam in the Netherlands uh, with my family. Uh, my son was like one year old. And um, we basically built out the European MLS system. Uh, it was called Able Euro at the time. And um, I got very engaged in, uh, you know, how the uh, real estate market worked in Europe versus uh, in North America where I had some experience. And uh, we actually built out a platform and I got you know, very much engaged in that. And we actually built it out uh, and was quite successful. Unfortunately, the, as we know, the dot-com bubble burst. And uh, unfortunately, at the time, we weren't profitable. So I had to move back home. And uh, But that experience really got me inspired about this as an opportunity. And so when I came back, I continued to, with my business and uh, continuing to focus on this real estate opportunity, real estate technology. And uh, decided to grow it a little bit more organically. You know, the dot-com was like a, a go big or go home type thing where I did this a little more organically. And, uh, you know, 23 years later here, uh, working with uh, our platform, like in over 60 countries, 40 languages, um, still one of the one of those uh, areas where I feel um, huge opportunity. So that's sort of how I got to where I am. And now I get to work with people like you and help <laughs> organizations like you uh, uh, fulfill their goals of uh, expanding internationally. You know, I didn't even know that you're originally from Portugal. That's that's fantastic. And we're about to open in Portugal together. So it's all full circle. That's it. That's it. It's uh, right right by my homeland. I know. 
I'll, I'll have to go, I'll have to go over there uh, at some point to celebrate. But we'll uh, have to do the opening together. We'll have you be a part of it. I like this. This is really good. Awesome. So, you know, as you said, you had your company for twenty three years, sixty countries, forty languages. So it's it's amazing, right? And it's something where. You know, when when I was with my other company, we were in 113 countries. And, you know, it's crazy when you start sort of thinking about that reach and when you start thinking about, wow, how different real estate is around the world. So I actually want to ask you, tell me three things from your point of view that differ with real estate around the world. Sure. And, uh, and definitely there are many things, as you know, uh, from your experience. Uh, but I would say some of the key things that I uh, see a lot is, um, you know, one of the things would be commission splits and, 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 and commission levels. So, you know, there are a lot of different reasons and, and for, for this, but in different countries, uh, you know, agents are, real estate agents are sort of uh, have a different level of uh, respect and, and, and value that they bring. And so, I find that, you know, who pays the commission, whether it's the seller or the buyer or uh, the amount that they're paid anywhere between, you know, some places it's like 1%, uh, some places it's more like in North America, like 5 or 6%. So I find that varies quite a bit um, from country to country. And then um, I also find that the cooperation between agents is a real uh, different, uh, differentiator between each country. And, uh, you know, I've experienced this myself. Once went to try and buy a place in the south of Portugal, and uh, the agent that I had coordinated with uh, when I arrived, I'm okay. Tell me what's on the market, and he's like, "Well, here's my three properties." And I'm like, that's, right, all, right. that's all that's on the market. He goes, "Well, there's another broker down the street, and then there's another one across town, and you basically have to go around and talk to every broker in the in town to find out what's on the market." And I find that that's um, something that you know, in different countries, they're they're getting a little bit better at that cooperation. And then, and then related to that is if I'm a seller and I know this is going on, um, I'm not going to be comfortable doing an exclusive agency or an exclusive mandate like we do here in the U.S. and Canada. So it's very common to have like one listing with, you know, four or five agents because the seller just wants to expose their property to as many potential home buyers. And so I find that the an agent uh, for an agent to get an exclusive contract is something that takes a lot of. Uh, you know, skill and, and value proposition presenting. And I find that comes with good training and, you know, things that um, that companies uh, like yourselves and other franchises bring to the table. And I think that's uh, evolving in very con- various countries at different speeds as well. Um, and also the lack of, you know, there's not a lot of NAR overseeing things like the National Associated Realtors and certifications. You know, it's changing in certain countries, which is great. But the, that's where I see a lot of the differences. And so, you know, for for listeners around the world, some of this that you just sort of shared is going to be like groundbreaking for them, right? And so, but it's interesting when you start looking at this from a global lens, I want to sort of take the three things you just said. So commission splits, right? Um, That 1%, you don't have to go very far. 1% is in London. And so when you start thinking about, you know, there's a lot of referral back and forth that happens. And if you're an agent in in New York City or in L.A. or something like that, and all of a sudden you refer a client and you're used to a certain percentage in commission, and all of a sudden you're looking at a referral that's, you know, 25 percent of 50 basis points, 
you're thinking, wait a minute, what just happened here? Yeah. Right. And so that, but, but I mean, something as common as that, and then you're right. When you start thinking about, there is no MLS really outside of the U S um, that project that you started doing, you know, no one's done it since you've abandoned it 25 years ago. <laughs> that would have been a fantastic thing to really have a robust European uh, MLS. It would have probably reshaped how the industry looks in Europe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Europe is the, the ripest territory uh, for this kind of uh, uh, adoption because uh, many other places are still far behind, but it, it, uh, there, it is popping up here and there, like some regional MLSs here and there. They're sort of yep. getting, which is great. Um, yeah. You know, and, and then you start looking at these open listings that you're talking about, right? And then aggregators, become like that Zillow type in other places, like in the UK, for example, it's right move, right? And they take whatever's in the industry, but the problem is that they list every open listing. And sometimes you'll see the same listing four different times. Exactly. Different photos, uh, different descriptions. And as consumer, you get confused. Is this the same place? You don't even know, right? So, so you get, and again, this is a very important transaction for any consumer. It's one of some of the, you know, the biggest transaction in their lives sometimes. So, Imagine not being confident about buying a property. Uh, and that's where the value of the agent is all, I think, still going to be there for a very long time. That's true, because you start looking at technology, right? But technology has different consumers. Is your client the agent? Because if you're a right move, you're charging the agents to be on there. The consumer is not the client because it's not that friendly to, to use it. Um, so it's interesting then, from that point of view, who becomes your consumer? Yeah, yeah. I think the portals really, uh, those portals really, or the aggregators really target the consumer for the for the listings because that's that's their inventory. That's what they use to to market. And I think that that's why they offer free listing of listings and all those kind of things. A lot of for sale by owners, uh, but that causes a lot of challenges for the agents because it's hard for them to justify their even if it's one percent, they still have to justify it against free. Precisely. All right, now tell me about three similarities in the industry internationally from your point of view. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, in the U.S., I'm going to talk about mainly about obviously outside the U.S. and Canada, um, but I think outside the U.S. and Canada, like we were saying, selling homes without an agent is still very, very common. And I think that, um, you know, in the value of an agent, um, until long, not too long ago, I know even in Portugal, you know, the the people who sold your home or helped you connect you with other people was like the barber and the guy who wanted to rent the supermarket. Um, paying somebody to sell your home or help you buy a home is still something that's you know fairly new. And so um, still a lot of people do sell homes on their own. And I think that this is where agents have a huge opportunity, at least good agents coming to the market, giving customers good value. I think that's still the, the biggest opportunity I see out there. And then um, the other area, which is what sort of alluding to the same idea that the customer experience right now in buying and selling across the board um, is still not very great. Um, the, the buying and the, the leads that we see come through, uh, whether that's buyer leads or seller leads, we still get a quite a, a large volume of leads, but the response times that we track are really not ideal. Um, on average, we've tracked in, in some, and I would say, in, at least in our more mature markets, our average response time from a lead to a response is close to 48 hours, which, like in North America, that's not even 
you know, people don't even imagine that, but that's the kind of response times we're seeing. And that's an average. So for me, that's a, a real area that uh, an opportunity that, um, that unfortunately it's all over the place. Uh, it's right. not any, any particular area. And, uh, and then, and then what that also leads to is uh, I see uh, days on the market, like the, the average days on the market for a property is, is very, very long. Um, we're seeing on a close to 200 days, average days in the market for a particular properties. Um, and again, these aren't like uh, not uh, interesting properties. This is a, you know, typical property on the market. And, and that has to do with the response times and connections of, of agents with the buyers and buyers with agents. And we know that here in North America, if we want to sell a property, you know, in a very short order, within a few weeks, our listing is on an MLS. And in many cases, within a few weeks, it's sold. Um, internationally, it's a much sell- much longer selling price uh, process. I've spoken to some people. They say, you know, if I'm looking to make a, uh, sell my property, they're typically thinking six to 12 months out just because they're so conditioned to this very slow process. And because uh, even uh, showing properties uh, is also challenging you know, one of the funny things I, I always uh, joke about is uh, I've, I've shown people what a lockbox is. You know, here in the U.S. and Canada, it's very common, right? When you have a, a listing for sale, you have a lockbox to facilitate showings. Well, internationally, they, they laugh to say, You're, you want this little box on my exactly. door with the key and people know my key is in there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and that, that concept is just so foreign. And so that really limits, you know, agents to be able to show properties quickly, and uh, and vice versa for for the you know um, for that in connection of that buyer and that seller, and so that's why one of the aspects I know that are leading to a very long days on the market for properties. You know, I think again you're bringing up some incredible uh, observations, and and a lot of it it turns into opportunities, right? Yeah, it's sort of like the idea that a lot of this is cultural. The idea of a lockbox in 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 most places outside of North America. To your point, is yeah, but the key's going to be in there. Anyone can come in, right? Yeah, knock it with a hammer, and you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the whole, but the whole idea—it's sort of like it, it comes down to service. Yes. It comes down to, and we, you know, I've said it ad nauseum on this program. And when I speak in public and do mentoring stuff, and it's always the idea that you're still a valuable part of this process only if you bring value. Yes, 100%. Right? 100%. And so the idea of 48 hours without a response, I mean, you, I mean, you know me, 48 minutes without a response <laughs> and I go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of not that that follow-up is crazy because then when you start thinking about it, it's it's all how you plan to deliver that service. That's going to be the key to anyone's success in this industry. 100%. 100%. We see, and we've seen success stories. People came from outside the industry that had that real customer service focus. They got training on how to do the transaction. That you know, anybody can learn how to do a real estate transaction, but they brought really great customer service to the table and they became a top producer because almost nobody else was doing it. And uh, to me, that's, that's where I, I agree with you that the value is in uh, making customers feel comfortable and then the referrals just keep coming in and you can be very successful. It's so true. So true. And it's such a basic core element, but you'd be surprised. I mean, not us because we know, but the general public would be surprised at how few people do this. 
Yes. You know, how few people, how, how few agents have a business plan? Right. Right. They just sort of wake up and see what the phone brings them. Yeah. That's not a recipe for success. Exactly. It's <laughs> And, and that's where, like here in, in North America, we have the training and certification. And, that, you know, that's where it's evolving in some countries where they're starting to get the whole idea that there's got to be – because in most countries, you could have just woken up one day and say, I'm an agent. That's right. Right? In most right. countries, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, with a bit of certification saying you need to live at least the basic um, yes. thing. Like in uh, Sweden, for example, it's actually a university course. And it is. Three years. Yeah. You can actually be an agent. So it's actually a bit of a challenge for recruiting because <laughs> the only way place to recruit is uh, from graduates of the school <laughs> for the most part for new, new entries to the thing. But I think that has a lot of validity for sure. That's interesting. So Carlos, let me ask you, if an agent wanted to promote themselves globally, right? Because you, you've been in this business a long time. And so if, a, if, a, if an agent was saying, you know, I actually want to position myself globally. I see a, an opportunity and I want people to know about me. Right. What would be your advice to someone trying to promote themselves outside of their region and on a global scale? Right. Yeah. So what I've seen uh, agents who are successful at this, um, sometimes the agents, similar to what you were saying, they sort of just expect it to happen. Um, I think that an agent to be successful to attract global leads and global business, they need to make sure they're clear that they're open to having that kind of business. So this includes in the marketing materials, on their website profiles, anywhere that they can to make it clear that they uh, are their local experts in their market. So if anybody's looking to move to that particular area from outside their uh, country or even their area, that they are the local experts. Um, so making sure that's very clear and, and making sure it's clear that they, they have, um, uh, that they're open to doing that kind of business. Because sometimes, you know, if you go to an agent profile and you have no idea if there's no reference to that. That's um, a small thing, but I, I think it's, I've seen that be very, very effective. And then obviously it helps if they speak additional languages, you know, other than English and their local language. If they are targeting a specific market, that helps. But if they don't, they don't happen to speak that market and they want to target it, then it's, um, I think it's important to go and find some resources, whether it's another agent that speaks that language or, or just a translation uh, company or something to provide some materials to show that they have some interest and some resources to be able to service those, those other um, opportunities. Because if they come to you um, from those other places, you know, language is going to be one of the things they're going to want to have um, um, uh, that they won't, don't want that to get in the way. Um, and then there's other things like making sure you belong to, there's many international associations um, and certifications that uh, specifically target international type business. So um, there's uh, courses from NAR and other associations, FIOPSI, places like that, that they can um, make themselves visible on those networks as well. And, you know, it's all about what you're saying. It's all about planning, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you were coming in from, from Portugal, from your uh, birthplace and going in and, and wanting to sort of come in here, you know, you'd want to know that someone's a local expert, but you'd also want to know that, you know, how do you find them? By the time they landed in, in, in New York, for example, where I am, that Portuguese buyer probably already knows the agent that they're going to deal with because they've already done the research before they even left Lisbon, right? Yep. And so 
if the, if you're not part of that sphere and part of that search capability, yes. you're not going to be found. Exactly. Yeah. And what I recommend for them is like do do your own search as if you're that customer, right? Simulate that scenario. Oh, I love that one. Right. And then you see like what what comes up when I look for agents in that speak Portuguese in New York that specialize in you know condo buildings and and see what comes up and see how to get onto those websites networks. Um, it's a it's it's that that part of that planning for sure. I like that one. Yeah. So while we're staying in that global sort of environment, yeah. you you know you you went into sixty countries. You know you, um, you and I just worked on uh, on India and uh, South Africa. We're about to open up Mexico in in less than two weeks here, and so there are a lot of customs around the world. What's one of, um, give me a good story on a custom that you had to adapt to as you opened up in one of your 60 countries. Right. Yeah, I, you know, to me, that's one of the best parts of my job is about learning about new countries. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's, um, it's always a balance, too, of learning the things that are like business culture uh, versus like people and general culture. And uh, I always, when I go to countries, I always like to immerse myself in the, in the culture as much as possible. And uh, yeah, some examples, um, I know that my, my first trip to China was, was an, a, quite the experience. Um, you know, from the, the gentleman that was our customer was, um, had to, you know, was a fairly successful man. So he had a, many of the uh, formalities in place, like even just seating arrangements at dinner, um, you know, for us, we were not, you know, normal go to a restaurant, you sit down. No, no, no. It was like a whole thing. Uh, it was all, everybody was set in very specific order. Uh, I needed to sit beside my, my customer and, and from, from there down, and it was a round table. So it was like a bit of a thing to organize uh, who should sit beside whom and, you know, and doing that multiple times because it wasn't just one dinner. So just going through that, that sort of, uh, arrangement of a simple dinner, sitting down at dinner was uh, something you have to adapt to. Um, the other one was Japan. It was another area that mm. I was just really immersed in that, and that culture uh, was really amazing. It's another place I, w- I want to go back to, but you know, there um, we, we had many, again, business um, meetings where I just felt like, uh, you know, they, they had a, a lot of, uh, the way they interact with was everything's very soft spoken. Even they were very passionate or very, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, particular about things that they really, really wanted. Everything was very soft spoken, same tone all the time. And it, it, sometimes you'd miss, you know, what were the important points and you'd, you'd come away with some understanding of, uh, of what was going to, what was going to happen, but yet they had articulated it, but in such a way that for me, it would have been just like just a, a side note, but for them, apparently it was very important. And sometimes I would miss those. And I got to learn that, you know, I had to pay more attention in our conversations with them. So it was a, it was some really interesting uh, experiences there in Japan for me. And, you know, and, and, on, and on the business side too, is also something we've had to adapt with, uh, you know, simple things like, uh, you know, business meetings and the timing of those meetings, mm. you know, in some cultures, the time is just a suggestion, right? It's not like us where we're a little bit more on the clock there. It's a little bit more, uh, you know, you know, and especially in Spain, you know, I'm a guy. Well, I was going to say in Latin America or any Latin speaking country. Yeah. It's more suggestion. Yeah. It's more fluid. The days are a little bit more fluid than we're used to. So, uh, 
that that would so at first cause a little bit of you know frustration, but then you sort of got to get used to it and you got to adapt because uh, there's no point getting stressed about it because you're just gonna you know get into a bad place. So right. yeah, you get to learn how to adjust to those things. I love those. You know, it's it's true in in um, in in Asian cultures especially, right? It's just. It, everything is very particular because it's such a rich heritage and tradition yeah. and things that would be so, you know, things that we wouldn't even think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, not only the, the, uh, the seating arrangement, but who sits first. Yes. Right. right? Yeah. And so, and who serves first. Yeah. And, and who drinks first. I, exactly. I and who drinks last. Yes. <laughs> Yes. It's so true. And things that, you know, like um, things that as, as, as other people outside of that culture, you know, um, I, I remember seeing this in, in uh, there were other colleagues that were in a, um, in a dinner in, in, in Japan. And, you know, if you, if you put your chopsticks in the rice and just have and stand it up, it signifies death. Oh. And it just freaks people out. And so, you know, the, the first time that, you know, it, it's told, it, it, it's sort of like it just registers, right? But then it just, as, as you progress, if it's told a second time, then it's just rude and they don't forget. Uh-huh. Yes. Right? It's, it's really, really interesting in doing business around the world. It's, 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 really, it's really fascinating. It's, it's the greatest university ever. Yes. is traveling. 100%. And that's one of the things I, I also encourage my family, my kids to, to travel as well. Um, because to me, that's a, like I say, it's a huge education. It shows, helps them understand that just because we do it that way, it doesn't mean it's the right way. You know, right. we have to adapt and learn that people do things differently. And I think that's a huge, um, that's something they don't teach in university. It's, a, it's so true. So true. So Carlos, tell me, what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? Wow, that's a that's a tough one. After twenty years, I've learned so many. <laughs> so, <laughs> greatest one, um, I would say. Uh, I would say that you know, over the years, I've always been a big fan of uh, listening to my customers. That's always been a, a big part of our culture and uh, and myself personally. It's, been, it's my passion. You know, seeing people use our our technology is uh, the, one of the biggest satisfactions that I have. And, but, you know, as business grow and other initiatives and opportunities come up, sometimes your attention can be a little bit, um, you know, driven in other directions. And as you grow, that's, that can be a little bit dangerous. So you got to make sure that you have a good team around you uh, as you grow that make sure that that customer focus is, is, you know, going in the right direction and is not being uh, taken away by these, you know, quote unquote, shiny objects. Yeah. Um, And so, you got to make sure that your team is also, you know, trained and 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 focused on that uh, customer focused, uh, that customer centric strategy. So, you know, and and this constant customer feedback, it's you know, it's challenging uh, to you know, especially if you're doing this across like we have to do across sixty countries, different time zones, and different cultures. So, you know, it's hard. But uh, uh, the reality is, just if it was easy, everybody would do it. That's and, right. And so. We just got to, we figured it out. We got, you know, account managers and a team that just is, you know, constantly talking to customers. And we've seen the positive effects of keeping that constant contact. And 
We've also seen the, you know, the negative impact. If we do lose a little bit of that focus, you, you know, can have a definite impact. So for me, that's one of the, you know, biggest lessons that I've learned is uh, you, you can't, can't take your, off, your, ball off, your eye off that ball. That's the most important ball. And when some people give you like crazy timelines of opening five countries oh, in three months, I mean, come on, who does that? Yes. <laughs> who does that? <laughs> no, it's been an, it's been an amazing journey with you. It really has. And, you know, we've had, uh, uh, we've had, we've had growing pains, but we've had a lot of labs too. And it's just, um, I think it's, it's made us closer and I appreciate everything that's, that that's happened thus far and it will continue to happen. Um, and, you know, it's like, I want to, I want to shift because you've mentioned um, your family a couple of times and I know that you spend really wonderful quality time and something I so respect about you because you have a, a great work life balance. How did you sort of juggle that? Well, I'm, I'm glad that that's your perception. I wouldn't know if I would. <laughs> <laughs> but if I ask your wife, it's a different perception. Yeah, Is that- <laughs> She'd be like, really? No, I, 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 it's definitely an area I know with, with uh, being in all these different countries, I obviously normally do a lot of traveling. Um, yeah. Different, but I know you do as well. And, um, but it is something we have to try very hard at. And it's, it's, it's one thing that, uh, that I do strive to, you know, I, at one point um, there was an analogy that I, that was told to me once that really stuck with me. And that is that our life is made up of like two, uh, of, of, our life is like a bicycle and we have two wheels. And those wheels are the personal life and your business life. And for your, for your life to really be balanced, those wheels need to be balanced. However, the spokes of those wheels are the different things we do in those, in those um, areas that keep those wheels in balance. And if those spokes are not there, then the bike is not functional. But also if one of the, bike, one of the wheels is too big and the other one's too small, the bike is also not functional. So it's, it's a, for me, an important thing to have, you know, a certain amount of spokes on the life side and the business, or sorry, on the life side to keep, you know, wife happy, kids happy, me happy, um, versus uh, keeping the business going and keeping everything going there too. But it's a tough challenge for sure. You know, I have examples where I, I've had a number of very successful trips where, you know, sort of planned ahead and uh, for, so for certain events, actually bring the family when it makes sense. And, uh, you know, we've had some fabulous trips to, for example, Thailand, where I, Wow. a little family vacation and uh, you know just the other night we were sitting at dinner and the kids were reminiscing about how that was like the one of the best trips they've ever been on and that was like a, very satisfying to me to hear them you know talking about it that way because for me it was like a, a win-win scenario right I and it's going on this trip uh, for business trip and at the same time we had this great experience and so that's love that. that was great and and I do have a, you know an annual portaging trip I do with my kids you know completely off the grid um even though my daughter tells me almost every year she's not coming, I, <laughs> I, I don't take that answer. And uh, she, every time she loves it, but so those are things that also I I really try and make sure I, I take the time to do that, and and uh, it's satisfying for me as well. As selfishly, that's you know a good take a take a break, uh, and without any choice, you're you're away from it all. There really is no option, so it's all good. Those are things that uh, you know uh, really help us get through some of those uh, tough years, you know? 
I love that. I love, you know, you're, you're a good man, Carlos. And, you know, we've known each other like a long time and then just of late really have gotten to know each other much better. And it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful to hear you tell these stories and it's, and it's just so much more satisfying when you have all the good wins and you deserve them. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So let's go, let's go back to, 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 um, to real estate. I was wondering how you would see the industry changing post COVID. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting time for sure. Yeah. I, think, I think this, uh, you know, we've all adjusted the, not just the real estate industry, obviously we're all adjusted on how to run our business, run our life. Um, and uh, we've all sort of gotten more used to getting things done in a remote way. Right. And, um, but some of these things also are a little more convenient and, and uh, we're sort of seeing the benefits of that aspect of it. So, you know, before this, this all started, you know, I, I couldn't imagine myself sitting with a, you know, a real estate agent doing a Zoom call to talk about a property or, or joining an open house on a Saturday afternoon, you know, in front of my computer. Um, but after, you know, after I've done a couple, it's like, you know what, this is actually pretty cool. And, you know, um, I can see where after this situation sort of settles down, um, I'm not saying that, you know, we're not going to have any more open houses or anything like that, but I can see where, you know, both the agent and the consumer are going to see some benefits out of leveraging this setup and the situation that um, will, you know, less driving, coordination, um, all this kind of stuff is just more convenient and more uh, cost effective. And, and I think that also I can see the trend where people are looking to work further away from their their actual physical job locations. Sure. And so I think that that's actually going to increase the agent's uh, needs to be able to like search further away and, and sell further away than they're used to. And they're going to need technology for that. And I, and I see that, you know, the combination of technology and them getting adapted to these more wide uh, searches uh, physically and even, even features wise, you know, uh, people are looking for different, types of homes where they have more room for home offices and stuff like that. I think that those are things that, that the real estate industry are going to need to adapt to, or at least more agents um, and the consumers, I think will, will demand some of this stuff from them. You know, it's interesting. I had um, Anthony hit on uh, a little while ago, the uh, CEO of Engel and Volkers, and he actually said it was really interesting for him because he's actually seeing how technology is actually enhancing some of the decision-making process because the idea of a virtual open home, you can have the whole family there, all the decision makers all at once right. to be there and view it together. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah. 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 Even recording it and showing it afterwards. Or That's right. So hundred percent. I think it, uh, there are some silver lining to this whole, um, this whole scenario where, it's, it's going to provide some conveniences. And, and again, I don't think it's going to completely stop, but I definitely think it's going to make some things uh, more commonplace than they used to be. I think you're right, actually. I have one more question for you, caller. So in your book of life, what would this current chapter be called? Wow, my book of life. Yeah, uh, you like that one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would say like, you know, and maybe this is a little bit more narrower, but I would say this chapter is more like keeping my eye on the silver lining or something like that, because it's been a tough year. It's, you know, 
that we've been throwing a lot of things at us from, you know, uh, from what's happening in the U.S., what's happening with COVID, what's happening with uh, with some places with the economy. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of things that, you know, if we just sat and focused on those negative things, would be you know not good for anybody. So, I've been finding myself with me and my family and my 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 team and my my business is looking for those silver linings and trying to find the positive aspects of you know some of these challenges we're going with because i'm an eternal optimist i i'm i'm very much looking forward to all this being over i i feel like we we're going to come out a better society after all this is done and learn from it so i'm i'm always looking for that silver lining so that would be that would be the phase of life or at least the phase i'm in for the next little bit anyways maybe not the whole life but <laughs> it's just this chapter you have a lot more chapters to write yeah, you're still very young <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of so yeah this chapter it's a short one but it's still it's <laughs> i love it well carlos thank you so much for really participating in this it's been a lot of fun just getting to know you better and i appreciate your candor and your point of view and your lessons and i think that there was incredible value in the conversation and i just appreciate your time brother awesome well thank you so much i really appreciate it and i look forward to uh, working closely with you and your team and, I, and again appreciate the opportunity of being on here absolutely and thank you for all of you for listening this has been the global luxury real estate mastermind with me your host michael valdez thanks very much mm-hmm.